0: We're living in a unique and challenging time, a time when we all need a word of comfort from the Lord. And last week I briefly hit pause on our study of the Gospel of Matthew because I felt like we, as a church, should be able to address questions such as, what should our response be as believers presenting Christ in a time when our society is looking for hope? How does the church look now? How does the church function now? And as I told you in the last few weeks, we're not going to lose our minds. We're not going to panic. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to encourage one another by phone, by text, by email. We're going to seek God's face, not simply His hand of blessing. We're going to seek His face and trust His Spirit to point out things in our lives that that need to be set aside, things that His Spirit wants to bring to our attention, things that He wants to bring to our attention as individuals, as, as a church, as a culture. We want to be seeking the face of God for the living of these days. And as we begin, I, I want you to think about two words, two words. And the first word is hope. And when I say hope, I don't mean a whim or a wish. I mean a strong assurance. Hope as a strong assurance. And the second word is stay. When we think of that word, we usually think of the word stay as a verb, such as I'm staying here, or we're to stay at home, or the car stays in the driveway but i want i want us to think of stay as a noun as a thing a stay is a large strong rope usually of wire used to support a mast of a ship and and the word stay was used in that context even before the 12th century so several hundred years ago but a stay is a support is a foundational support and and The song, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, has a stanza that reads, His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And you've heard me say this before, there's a power in the songs of our faith. Be they historic hymns, sung down through the history of the church, as well as some of the, the newer spiritual songs of the last few years. We we sing our theology as believers. We, we sing our, our creedal beliefs. Uh, we sing what we believe. We sing what we know to be true because of what God's Word tells us. And as we are in this quarantine and this pandemic, we're now a few weeks into this, we're starting to ask questions uh, such as, Can we believe that Jesus is all of our hope and stay? Can we believe that? Can our culture believe that? Well, Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, and we saw the intersection of God's power, God's people, and prayer. We saw the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the the helper promised in the Gospel of John. And, And we saw Peter preach the Gospel of Jesus to a group of men there in Israel, there in the first uh, part of the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter then begins to preach good news. He, he preaches the gospel, and that's what the word gospel means, good news. The good news of salvation through Jesus. In verse 22 of Acts, Acts 2, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then Peter brings up a name that all of these Israelites who are listening, a name that they will know. King David. King David, and Peter says in verse 25, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay, You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And and Peter, in this first sermon following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, quotes David, the shepherd boy, turned king of Israel. Where does David originally say these words? Psalm 16. Psalm 16. It's a beautiful psalm, and it's a song of trust in the Lord's sovereignty and in the Lord's deliverance. Listen to how Psalm 16 begins. Verse 1, Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. Go down to verse 8. And David writes, I have set the Lord continually before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And in these days, as we live in these days, there's such a temptation to be shaken. And, And there's so many changes in our culture since... Last, we even set foot as a church in the same room. So many changes. And and David didn't live in the time of the coronavirus. But David saw a lot of stuff. And and David could have let his situations and his circumstances take his eyes off of the Lord. But in this instance, he didn't. He is seeking the Lord. And, And come what may, come what may, David will not be shaken. This is a picture of the Lord as one's hope and stay. And in verse 9 of Psalm 16, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh also will dwell securely. Therefore with the Lord is his hope and stay. David's heart is glad and David worships the Lord. David feels secure. Verse 10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay, you will make known to me the paths of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In verse 10, David writes that the Lord will not abandon his soul, but the Lord will not allow David to undergo decay. Well, that's a head scratcher. <laughs> Did David think himself above death and decay? I mean, it's a logical question. this is what David has written. And, and the reality is, the fact of the matter is, I believe that's what our culture is, that's what our culture is dealing with right now. because for years we have lived as if we were above death and decay. And, and now when our culture is having to face and address the question of mortality, we don't know how to handle it. And, and that big question, whatever would life look like if we're not at its center? If we're not at its center? Uh, for all of the personal challenges that David faced, here he doesn't seem quite as enamored with himself as perhaps I am with me or you are with you. Or as our society is with itself. And, and Peter explains in Acts chapter 2 where David is going with this line of thinking. In Acts chapter 2 verse 29, Peter says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne... He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection. He spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. Jesus has not been abandoned to the grave, and he has not suffered decay. Jesus, the son of David, has been resurrected. He has defeated sin and death and hell, and is on the throne of the kingdom of heaven. And he is sure, and he is steadfast. There's a steadfastness that we see in both David's Psalm 16 and in Peter's quote in Acts chapter 2. This steadfastness is a sharp contrast. It's the exact opposite of what we see toward the end of Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is finishing what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very end of that, Jesus shares an extremely vivid example, and one that is familiar to most. Uh, Let me read it, 724. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And as the rain fell, and as the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That's a time of message. Jesus says in verse 26 that everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Why would one not want to act on the words of Jesus? Well, what words? Well, when when Jesus first comes on the scene in Matthew, what words does he give to us? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, following his baptism and following the trial in the wilderness, we read that, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And just before that, some of the first phrases recorded of Jesus are what he says to Satan in the wilderness at the beginning of chapter 4. When when Satan tempts Jesus with food, in in chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus answers Satan and says, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And when Satan dares Jesus to show his power, in verse 7, Jesus says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then in verse 10, when Satan tries to tempt Jesus with self-serving early kingship, Jesus says to Satan, Go, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We're not to live by bread alone. We're not to place our hope in bleach or Clorox wipes or toilet paper. But we're to live by the word of God. We're not to test the Lord. I woke up one morning at the end of the week and I thought to myself, Lord, I believe you are beginning to get our attention. We're to worship the Lord and we're to serve him alone. And our culture has certainly not followed those words of Jesus In a long time, have we? No wonder that we've been living large, (laughs) living large in our houses as they've been shifting in the sand. And now the rains and the floods and the winds have descended upon us. What is our hope and our stay? Who is our solid rock? Who is David's security? In whom did David's flesh dwell securely? Who is David's hope and stay? Jesus, Jesus is the steadfast sustainer who is found in both Psalm 16 and Acts 2. And if you and I will seek the Lord, come what may, come what may, we will not be shaken. Jesus is the hope and the glory who brings his abundance to life, regardless of whatever the situation was in Psalm 16 and we see in Acts 2. You and I can can dwell securely in the abundance that only Jesus can bring. And Jesus is the one close by, the one close by, who will not abandon us. Because Jesus has drawn near to us, offering himself for us and our sin. He will not abandon us. And in Psalm 16, verse 11, we see this echoed in Acts 2, verse 28. This scripture here, "...you will make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy." In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Jesus is the life who has made his way known to us. In his word. And his is the presence who brings fulfillment, restoration, and completion. It's only in his presence will you and I have fullness of joy. Satisfaction and security is ultimately found where? Only. Only in him. Did you know that we were never designed for completeness in this life outside of the Lord's presence? That's why our culture is terrified. We've wasted lives. We've wasted years. We've wasted millions and millions and millions of dollars looking for completeness, for security. And yet we're surprised that we can't find it in our hobbies our work, or our play. Only in His presence is fullness of joy, satisfaction, security. Well, Jake, what if I'm not feeling secure? What if I don't have peace and I'm afraid to face tomorrow? What What shall one do who has not found security in Christ? Well, security comes when one is settled in Christ, and that means that we have to let Christ deal with sin in order to be settled in Him. We're to act on what the Lord says. Each of us has to turn from sin. That word that we saw briefly in the beginning of Matthew chapter 4, that we are to repent. We're to turn from our sin. Repent is an old military term. The reality is this that we see Paul write this in Romans chapter 3 that everyone needs salvation because we've all sinned. And the price and the consequence of our sin is death. See, God is a holy God, and we are an unholy unholy people. But here's the good news of salvation. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the price for our death. And when folks hear that, they're thinking, well, you know, before I meet Jesus, I've got to get my act together. I've got to get some things straightened out. I've got to really kind of pull myself up by my own bootstraps. We'll see. That's wrong. Here's good news. And Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. And that famous verse, John three sixteen, that reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish but have eternal life. And when we realize that Jesus died for our sins and we trust in that, we receive salvation, we receive eternal life because of faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And Romans chapter 10 verse 9, it couldn't be said more clearly. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as direct as that. And then Paul goes on to write, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Amen. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and that is good news. That's good news, good news in any era, especially in this one. And, and a good, another good thing about salvation, salvation brings us into a relationship of peace with God. Well, Jake, how can I be saved? Well, I think the hardest part is, is the first step. It's admitting that you're a sinner. What happens when the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit's always always at work in 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 in, per, in a person's life. And when a person becomes sensitive and open to the idea of the Holy Spirit working, the Holy Spirit begins to, to point out some things in a person's life that, that are not pleasing to God. And and there there begins to a, a sense a feeling of guilt. And when a person begins to feel guilt and brokenness about about sin, at that point in time, that person begins to see the need to have forgiveness. And and when we understand that as a sinner that that we deserve death, when we're sinners, we can believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from sin and from death. And what happens when we understand that, when we understand that we need our sin forgiven, we believe that Jesus is the one who did that by going to the cross— we're able to turn from our old life of sin. We're able to repent. Again, there's that old military term. We turn from our old life of sin into a new life in Christ. When we confess our faith and when we trust in what Jesus has done, then this is what happens. We receive, through faith in Jesus, this gift of salvation. And and once a person does this, the person has God's Holy Spirit living inside him or her bringing comfort and bringing guidance until the day that he or she will see Jesus in glory. See, the reality is we will all have to make a decision regarding Jesus um, because we will all stand in front of him. One day at the end of our lives, at the end of time, we will come face to face with Jesus. What decision have, have you made? And 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 here's the thing: we don't know the we don't know the the turns in the road that are ahead of us. We don't know, but come what may, you can know at this hour that Jesus can be your hope and your stay.